Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us online. For those of you that are home, it's uh, glad to, uh, I'm glad to, that you're here. So my name's Luke. Uh, I'm one of the pastors. I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. Um, but kind of to kick it off this morning, I, I want to maybe tell you or remind some of you of a story that's pretty well known from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, um, there's a remarkable story, one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells about a man that had two sons. And this man that had two sons was wealthy, uh, he owned lots of land, he had lots of servants, and uh, of the two sons, the younger brother comes to him and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Now, I've said some mean things to my father over the years, but I've never said that. And uh, that's probably where you would draw a line. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Give me all the stuff that I'll get someday when you die. I want it now. And amazingly, this father gives it to him. And so this son goes off uh, to Vegas, and uh, he squanders it in wild living and with prostitutes. And this huge inheritance that he had received, he uh, just blows it. It just vanishes into the wind. He blows it in what's called recklessly extravagant living, prodigal living. He, at one point, finds himself feeding pigs. That's the lowest that you could ever get if you were a Jew to actually be around pigs and feeding pigs. And he's so low that he's hungry enough that he's looking at what the pigs are eating and feeling jealous. I wish I could have what they have. And then he comes to his senses and he realizes, you know what? The servants, the slaves in my father's house have it better than I have it right now. I should go back to my father and say, Father, hire me as one of your servants. Hire me to be like a slave type character. I'll do that and, and I'll be better off. Well, he comes home and before he can even get all the way to the house, while he's still a long way off, uh, the scripture says that the father sees him and runs and embraces him. And while the boy thought that he was coming home to be a slave, he actually is welcomed as a son. The ring gets put on his finger, and they slaughter a fatted calf for him, and it's this huge party, incredible celebration. This son who was lost is now found. We're familiar maybe with that story because that's the well-known part of the story, but the story is told just as much, maybe even more, because of the second son, the older brother. The older brother was the one who stayed home. The older one was the one who always did what was right. The older brother was the one who, you know, didn't say those kinds of mean things to his father. In fact, when the party starts happening, the older brother is out working in the field. He hears a commotion. He hears music. He hears shouting. And he asks one of the servants, hey, what's going on? What's the deal with all this noise? And the servant says, your brother is home. And rather than rejoicing, rather than being thrilled, rather than rushing into the party, The older brother defiantly stands outside, arms crossed, pouting. And just like the father ran out to see the younger son and welcome him home, the father goes out to the older brother, says, come in, come in. We're celebrating because this brother of yours was was lost and now he's found it. And the the older brother now is, is disrespectful. He goes, look. This son of yours squanders this, and he won't, he won't come in. And the reason Jesus tells this story is because Jesus' ministry is to younger brother types and to older brother types. The younger brother types are the people who know that they're sinners. They know that they've blown it. They know that they've been immoral. They know that they've been impure. They know that they've done the things that God doesn't approve of. And those are the people who are very drawn to Jesus, by the way. 
But there's also a group of people that Jesus is trying to reach. It's the older brother types, the people who always seem to do what's right, the people who seemed good, who seemed moral, who seemed like they had high character, the the people who were concerned about doing the right thing. And Jesus comes to them too. The younger brother in the story begins thinking like a slave. He becomes a son. The older brother has the full opportunity to act like a son, and yet instead he acts like a slave. And that is significant. That story is a good way to set up what's going on in John chapter 8. We've been studying the gospel of John. We've said that John makes it clear. He says, the reason I'm writing this is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when we think about that, we think that Jesus came mostly for the younger brother types. But this story tells us that Jesus also came for the older brothers. Because this is a story where Jesus is interacting with this group of religious people, this group of religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, these Jews that were very familiar with how the law should work and what was right. And yet we see that even though they start off seeming to believe in him in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who'd believed him, we see that it unravels very, very quickly. I had a question for you. Who are the people that have the hardest time believing? See, some of you are, are in a place where you're like the younger brother, and you're, you're even embarrassed that you're here. You're, you're kind of, even as you are watching at home, feeling like, I don't know, am I really allowed to watch this? And you're thinking, there's no way that God could actually accept me because of what I've done. And yet, you're in a better position to come to faith in Christ because you know how much you need him. The people that have the hardest time believing are the people that don't even think they need him, the older brother types. One person said there are two ways to avoid Jesus. One is by being very, very bad. The other is by being very, very good. And a lot of us in this room, not everybody, but a lot of us are older brother types. Maybe we weren't when we first came to faith, but you've been following Jesus for a while, and and now you're a bit more like the older brother than the younger brother. And this passage is an invitation to you to come into the party to come. Don't rest in your goodness. Don't rest in your morality. Don't rest in your history. Rest in Jesus. That's the invitation. Now, people struggled to embrace Jesus. Jesus' own people struggled. This is why it says in John chapter 1, we began uh, the series looking at this. In John 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came to his own people, and they said, nah, we don't need you. But those who did know they needed him, they became children of God, it says. And so the title of today's message is Slave or Son. Slave or son. And we get this from what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, these religious people thought that they were sons of God. They thought they were part of the family of God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're actually a slave to sin. You're not a child of God, you're a slave to sin. He'll go on to actually say you're even a slave to the devil. It's strong language, but the opportunity here is for us to be sons, to be children of God. Now, one of the things I just want to say this up front, in this message, I'm going to talk about slaves and sons, and when I say sons, instead of saying sons and daughters, here's why I'm doing that. One is, 
it's just annoying to have to say it sons and daughters every time, right? So I'm just saying, when I say sons, you know I'm talking to men and women. That's one reason. The second reason, though, is that the Bible was written in a context where it was more significant to be a son than to be a daughter. And here's the, here's the benefit of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, regardless of your status, you're a son, you now have the highest status, the highest access. And that's the opportunity that we have as the people of God is to no longer be slaves to sin, but to be sons of God. These slaves to sin, as I said, were the Jews. They were the Pharisees. They were the ones that thought they had it all together. And it's just so dangerous. It's so easy to become a Pharisee. Uh, one of my friends and mentors, a guy named Larry, says that... Um, he says, becoming a Pharisee is like eating dinner at Denny's. Nobody means to, you just end up there. <laughs> Nobody sets out to say, oh, I'd like to be a Pharisee. I'd like to be religiously, look down on my nose at everybody. I'd like to think I'm fine. I'd like to think I don't need God. I'd like to be hard on everyone else and mean-spirited. No one wants to set out that way, but we can drift there, can't we? And so the slaves in this story are the people who are enslaved to their own goodness, to their own self-righteousness, to their own sin, and the invitation is to become like sons. Let me just kind of go through, I'm not going to reread the passage for you, but to kind of break down the kind of sequence of the conversation that happens, uh, Jesus says, uh, hey, if you abide in my word, if you remain with me, uh, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. To which they respond, well, we're already free. We're children, we're offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're not so free because anyone who practice sin, practices sin is a slave to sin and you're not set free. Uh, you're actually more like your real father. And they're like, well, I don't know who you're saying our real father is, but our father was Abraham. And Jesus goes, no, he's not. Maybe bloodline, that's your father, but you're not acting like children of Abraham because Abraham heard the words of God and trusted God. You hear my words and you're trying to kill me. So you're not, you're not a child of Abraham at all. You're illegitimate. To which they then say, maybe you noticed this in verse 41, well, we were not born of sexual immorality, which is a little jab at the story that had been circulating about Jesus and his teenage mother. And Jesus says, yeah, you're actually children of the devil. It escalated quickly, <laughs> right? And, and listen, this isn't Jesus like, like you and I just going, oh yeah, well you, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like he's not just trying to raise the ante to sort of raise the ante. Jesus is actually like the father in the, in the son's story going out to them and saying, come on, come with me. But the problem is, is when you're a slave, you're, you're deaf and you're blind and you're dumb and you can't tell that you're in slavery. So what I want to look at in this passage is Three distinctions between slaves and sons. I want to ask you today, are you a slave or are you a son? Or are you living like a slave or are you living like a son? Here's the first distinction is that slaves can't and won't hear Jesus, so they stay enslaved. They won't hear Jesus. Look at verse 43. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Jesus says, you don't even have the power to hear what I'm saying. You don't have ears for it. In verse 47, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. As a result of not being able to hear God, it says in verse 34, truly, truly, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. They're enslaved by their unwillingness to hear Jesus. They can't hear him. Remember some years ago, I uh, took a flight home. I don't know where I'd gone, but I took a flight, and on my way home, um, my ears never unpopped. Have you ever had that? Or there's that time when you're flying, and sometimes it fills up, and then it pops, and I'm like, oh, that's good relief. Well, I remember getting off the plane, and it was still, you know, and I'm chewing gum, and I'm drinking water, and I'm making myself yawn, and I'm looking like a total idiot, right? And I'm just doing whatever I can do to try to get my ears to pop. And so they don't pop. I get home. They're still clogged. I wake up the next morning. They're still clogged. And I could hear, but it sounded like I was kind of underwater. Some of you who have experienced hearing loss, I think it's probably just what it sounds like when you just can't hear well, and it's kind of, everything's muddy and distorted, right? And, and it stayed that way the next day and the next day and the next day, and it just went on and on and on. And I, you know, it felt like the more things I tried, the worse it seemed to get until a friend of mine said, hey, you need to go to this chiropractor uh, because he can help you. And I thought, well, this has nothing to do with my spine. What are you talking about? And he said, no, what he'll actually do is he'll put on some gloves and he'll reach his finger deep in your throat and he'll swipe your sinuses and it'll clear it out. How's that for ick? (laughs) And I was like, I'll try anything, right? And so so I, I went and actually... It, 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 he swiped it, and it was like, it just worked. It was cleared out. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, you're like, your ears are clogged. You're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. It's muffled. It's distorted. I'm telling you I'm a bigger deal than you think. I'm telling you you need me more than you realize. Will you listen? And the reality is they won't listen. They are stuck. They are slaves. And they need someone. They need something to swipe their spiritual ears and open it up. They're slaves to sin because of their inability and unwillingness to listen to Jesus. It's interesting when we think about that idea of being a slave to sin. I mean, Jesus alludes to it twice. Verse 32, the truth will set you free. Verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. When we think of someone who's a slave to sin, we usually think of, of big, bold. We think of someone who's a gambling addict. We think of someone who's a sex or pornography addict. We think of someone who's an alcoholic. We think of someone with big, bold anger problems. Those are the slaves to sin. That's not who he's talking to, though. He's talking to the good people. Which has, makes us think, well, what, what does Jesus mean then? Well, well, listen, there's two ways to think about sin. One is that you break the rules. And the other is that you put yourself in the place of God and you live for you. And that's what they're doing. They weren't necessarily breaking all the rules, but they also weren't doing it for the right reasons. They were doing it to make themselves look good, to puff themselves up so that they could be impressive, so that people could see them and go, oh, wow, that's a Pharisee. They're really great. And so they're slaves to their own goodness, even though their goodness isn't really good because it's disconnected from God. See how deceitful this is? Next thing you know, you're at Denny's. 
Slaves can't and won't hear Jesus, so they stay enslaved. It's interesting in the prodigal son story, both sons reject the father, right? One does it by running away. One does it by staying away. Both are living for themselves. On the other hand, sons, what Jesus is inviting us to be, sons abide in Jesus' word and they enjoy freedom from sin. That word abide is significant in verse 32. If you abide in my word, we'll see this again in John chapter 15 where Jesus will say that he's the vine and we're the branches and that apart from him we can do nothing. Apart from him we can bear no fruit. But if we abide, if we remain, if we stay connected to him, then we will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free to not have to live according to what you want to do. Free to be able to do what God wants. That's the definition I love of this uh, by D.A. Carson. He's a wonderful commentator on John. He says this, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. See, we think liberty is, right? We all have this little inner William Wallace in us. Freedom. You know, especially here in Arizona, like, don't tread on me. Like, you know, don't tell me what to do. And we think freedom is getting to do whatever I want. It, and compared to being told what you have to do, that's true. But there's a freedom that's deeper than that. It's the freedom to not do what you want and be okay with it. See, listen, if you have to do what you want, then you're still just a slave. But you're a slave to your own desires. That's not freedom. That's just a new kind of slavery. And Jesus is saying, I came to give you freedom. I came to give you the ability to be free to love. That's what it says in Galatians 5 is we were called to freedom, brothers. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, we are so free that we can actually lay down our preferences. So free that we can even at times lay down our rights in order to serve others. That's freedom. Sons have that freedom. We're secure. We're loved. We are free. That's the first distinction we see. Second distinction is this, that slaves rest in their pedigree. Slaves rest in their pedigree, their, their past, their family, their tradition, their origin story, their background. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? By the way, that's a kind of a funny sentence for them to say. We've never been enslaved by anyone. <coughs> Ahum. Really. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria. You're now enslaved to Rome. Like, what do you mean? But notice they're going, we're sons of Abraham. In fact, commentators say that's probably what they're saying is like, true sons of Abraham, true Israelites are never held captive. There's a kind of fervor here of, we're free because we're in Abraham. Jesus says, not so fast. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you, were do, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. See, slaves rest in their pedigree, in their status, in the eyes of other people, not in their status with God, not in the true relationship. Uh, when I was in high school, um, 
I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and Mike Shanahan was the coach of, the, of God's favorite team, the Denver Broncos. <laughs> and uh, sunsets are orange and blue. God's clearly a Broncos fan. It's not even close. Anyway, so Mike Shanahan was the head coach, um, and he came in, I think it was between my, uh, my freshman and my sophomore year, Mike Shanahan became the coach. And we heard this devastating news, especially for me, because on my football team as a freshman in high school, I was the quarterback. And we uh, heard this, this great news for the Broncos that Mike Shanahan was coming to Denver. The bad news was his son, Kyle, was our grade and was coming to our high school. Kyle Shanahan, by the way, now is the coach for the 49ers. God's less favorite team. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Here's how strong that pedigree was. Is before I ever met Kyle Shanahan or watched him throw a pass, I went ahead and changed positions. So I went, you know what? I think I know how this works. And yet, you know what? Kyle Shanahan wasn't a good quarterback. He ended up being a pretty good wide receiver, played college ball, a wide receiver, but he wasn't a good quarterback. Why? Because just because your name is Shanahan doesn't mean you're good at quarterback. Just because you're a son of Abraham doesn't mean you're actually right with God. Just because your grandma believed doesn't mean that you have any special access when you stand before Jesus. On my mom's side of the family, there's this long history. It's really fun to read about these Scottish Presbyterian church planters and pastors and abolitionists, these people who were stalwarts of the gospel. And do you know what good that will do me when I stand before God? Zip. Zero zilch. Now, I do believe that they prayed for their ancestors, and I think I experienced some blessing as a result of that. But that does nothing before the Lord. I have to give an account for my own life, for my own sin, for my own faith. See, pedigree is overrated. See, sons, on the other hand, rest in Jesus. Slaves rest in their pedigree. Sons rest in Jesus. In verse 39, that's what Jesus said. He said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Well, think about this. What were the works that Abraham did? Well, it says that Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't earn righteousness through his good works, but he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Also, there was a time, you can read about it in the book of Genesis, when God showed up to Abraham. It was right before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God shows up and Abraham listens and Abraham trusts and Abraham believes. And now these guys, on the other hand, they're not trusting. God shows up to them and they want to kill him. Sons rest in Jesus. They say, I'm not resting in my pedigree I'm not resting in my performance. I'm not resting in any other status that I have achieved. I'm resting in the status I've received from Jesus. That's the status. I'm resting in Christ. Are you resting in Jesus? Or are you resting in the faith of your parents, or your grandparents, or your traditions? Are you resting in Christ? Oh, there's such freedom in resting in Christ. See, if you're a slave, then even grace and faith are not good gifts of God to be received, but they're just little supplemental things to help you do a better job at working hard at being good. 
But when you're resting in Christ and you're experiencing his grace and you're just trusting him and you're reminding yourself, oh yes, I'm a loved son of God. I'm a child of God. I am adored by the Lord Jesus. Then you're free. I've told this story before and and, uh, some people have told me actually this was a very helpful story for them. So if you've heard it before, that's okay. I'll tell it again. Some of you haven't heard this story. When I was in college, I played baseball at the University of Illinois, and my first two seasons uh, followed the same trajectory in terms of uh, my hitting. I started the season rocket red hot, just really hitting the ball well, doing great, and then I hit a slump of a couple weeks, at which point I got benched. Tends to be how it works in sports. You play well, you keep playing. You play not well, you don't keep playing, right? And so we got to my third year, and my third year I had shifted over to third base. This is my junior season, and I start off red hot, and then I hit this slump, and I start thinking, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then I get word that Coach Jones wants to see me in his office. This can't be good. (laughs) Coach Jones didn't ever want to see you in his office. He didn't like seeing you. (laughs) Really ever, you know, but especially not in his office. So he calls me to his office. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not stupid, I don't think. I'm kind of connecting the dots going, I've seen how this works before. And he calls me in and he says, Luke, I know that you're in a rough patch right now. Sorry, talk. I know you're in a rough patch right now, but I just want you to know, no matter what, you're our third baseman. I'm not going to pull you. I'm not going to sit you. You're going to turn it around, and no matter what, you're our third baseman. Have a great day. I was like, who are you, and what did you do with Coach Jones? Anyway, but, but I, I tell you what, I walked out of that office free. Because what he said was, you're secure. You, you, just do your best. You're my guy. But even when you don't do your best, you're still my guy. Listen, that's what Jesus is saying to us. The the way we get into the kingdom is not by being good. It's by his having been perfect. And we get that status credited to us. We believe him and it's counted to us as righteousness. And so we are now free. We can live in the freedom of the gospel with nothing to prove and no one to impress. That is so different that someone who is a slave to everybody's thought and everybody's, what are they going to notice? What's my reputation going to be? How do I look? What does God think? That is not freedom. That's slavery. Sons rest in the freedom that comes from Jesus. Here's the third distinction, and this one may be the most surprising until we think about it a little bit more, is that slaves live in satanic lies and pursue death. Now, that makes a lot of sense when we're talking about younger brother types, when we're talking about people in deep addictions with obvious big problems and lots of immorality. We go, oh yeah, well, they clearly are believing satanic lies, but this is talking about the good people. These are the people leading the religious stuff. How are they... Slaves to satanic lies and the pursuit of death. Well, you see the pursuit of death in multiple times. Verse 37, Jesus says, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Verse 40, now you seek to kill me. He compares them to Satan. He says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. That's your resemblance. That's your family likeness. You may have the DNA of Abraham, but you sure look like Satan. 
You're of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. The NIV says when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I, I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. It's interesting there. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. He doesn't say, I tell you the truth, and even then you don't believe me. He says, I, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. You don't have ears for this. You are a slave to satanic lies. Well, think about the satanic lies. What are the lies of Satan? What's the first lie of Satan? Adam and Eve, they're there in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2, and they're enjoying being with God in the cool of the day. They have access to every tree, every plant of the garden except this one. They have all that they could ever want, and Satan comes and says to them, what does he say? Here's the lie. You will not die, but God doesn't want you to know the truth because when you know the truth, you'll be like God. The lie was, you can be like God. And if you are good, especially better than other people, and if you're righteous, especially more righteous than other people, and you have all that power that comes with it, then you think you're like God. And so they're slaves to these lies. They think they're okay. They think they're fine. They think they don't need God anymore. They think they can have everything that, because they're good. Is that you? Here's some lies religious people believe. One is, if people were more like me. How many times have you thought that way in the last year? If people thought about masks more like me. If people thought about race more like me. If people thought about politics more like me. If people thought more about cancel culture like me. If everyone was more like me, that's a lie of Satan. Similar one is, uh, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that I'm better than them. But that comparison that sneaks into our hearts, that's from Satan. Here's another one is, uh, truth is all that matters. Truth is all that matters. That's not true. <laughs> Jesus came full of grace and truth. So truth matters for sure. The irony is that the people who get so obsessed by saying the truth is the only thing that matters tend to miss the truth when he comes embodied in Jesus. Another lie that we religious people believe is I can fix it. I got it. I got it. This is why we don't pray. I got it. This is why we don't seek counsel. I got it. This is why we devalue the need to live in community. I got it. Another lie we believe as religious people is that we deserve a good life. This is why when trouble comes, we either feel really guilty because we think, I actually deserve the trouble that's coming, or we feel really bitter because we think, I don't deserve this, I've been good. See, we 
We live in lies and it leads to death. But sons, sons, this is what we're invited to. Sons, hear Jesus and love him. That's what Jesus says in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. You can hear my voice. That's what Jesus will say in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to my voice and they do what I say. Sons hear Jesus and they love him. We've been uh, just doing lots of soccer as a family. All four of my kids were just playing soccer, wrapped up our, our last part of the season uh, yesterday. And uh, Hank and Mary are playing. Mary's six, Hank is four. Uh, they're both like in the hive ball, you know, where the, you know, the amoeba just moves sort of around the, I'd say grass field, but it's really like dirt field, right? Like, um, but what, here's the thing that I found interesting with Hank, Hank who's four, uh, there, was, there was one particular day when um, one of our other kids had a game on another part of town, and so I showed up after that game, drove over to Hank's game, and as I was walking up, I was seeing him run a particular speed, and then I showed up and said, this was our big thing, I would say, what do sharks do? Because that was their team name, sharks. What do sharks do? And he'd go, attack, right? And like, yes, that's right. So, so I walk up. And I just go, come on, buddy. And he went a new gear. Because he heard his dad's voice. And I don't think it was like, hurry up or else. That's not what he heard. That's not how we've talked about this. But he heard my voice. And he moved faster. And he scored a goal. And the first thing he did was look to my face. From way down there, look to my face. Because he wanted to see, oh, yeah, my dad's here. That's, that's, a, that's a son. We don't, we don't obey Jesus to be accepted by Jesus. We're accepted by Jesus, so we obey Jesus. And then we live for his pleasure. We live for his delight. We live for his joy because we're free. Are you free? Are you a slave or a son? Are you living like a slave or a son? Either way, the answer is the same. Come to Jesus. Experience that freedom. Experience that love. Experience that acceptance. It's interesting right now. I think the world out there, not even just the religious world, but the rest of the world, is more legalistic than ever before. There is no room to make a mistake. If you do, you are fired. You are not accepted here anymore. It's interesting. The world is more legalistic than ever before and less forgiving. And in Christ, his standard's actually higher, but his grace is abundant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for the freedom that he offers, and we ask you now that you would set us free, that we could live not as slaves, but as sons. With nothing to prove, no one to impress. So God, as we come to the table, even now, would you allow us to receive this as a, another a way of experiencing your grace. We pray in Christ's name, amen.